Welcome to episode 131 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the objects to observe in the night sky for July 2021. I'm Chris. Joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So, Shane, what are you looking forward to in the July night sky? Well, I'm looking forward to darkness, getting away from <laughs> June 21st. And, uh, you know, every day gets a little bit shorter, which you know, is kind of a double-edged sword, you know, it's, we're, we're getting closer to winter, but at the same time, we're getting into better astronomy. So I am looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the planets in particularly, you know, Jupiter and Saturn, uh, getting, uh, to be more evening objects or closer to the, the evening objects rather than, uh, you know, morning objects right now. Yeah. Sounds good. And, uh, we have a, a, uh, a meeting up of the moon, Mars and Venus that are all going to be in the same binocular field. And, uh, yeah, got this, this planetary roundup coming. So yeah, kind of without uh, further ado, we have Mercury, the innermost planet. It's going to go through another great, uh, Western elongation. However, like you were mentioning, we have very, very short nights. In fact, right now, uh, where we live, we actually do not really have night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I was saying in, in the last podcast that we just recorded before this one that uh, I went out at 1030 and it was so bright. There was, you know, I couldn't do any astronomy. The planets weren't up. Um, the moon was up, but it was pretty much full. And so I wasn't, wasn't looking to look at that. I thought, well, I'm just going to go to bed and went up and shut our blackout blinds and you could see like the, the brightness of the sky, our house uh, back of our house faces towards the East. So nowhere even near where the sky should be super bright. And it was, you could see the brightness coming in around the curtains. And then I got up at quarter to four. I thought I might take a look at Jupiter and Saturn and uh, the sun was coming up. <laughs> so it was way too bright. Sunrise wasn't officially until about four thirty something, but uh uh, yeah, it was, it was very, very bright at quarter to four. So too, too bright to do any, any astronomy. So, so anyhow, that, that's where we're at. So yeah, I'm looking forward to having some, uh, some dark skies, at least dark enough to actually even look at the planets will be, will be really exciting. Um, and we got that Mars and, and Venus, uh, pairing up in the, in the evening dust coming up too. So, so that should be, uh, that should be pretty good. We, we actually had a pretty good view of, was it Mars and Venus that we were looking at a few weeks ago? Mercury and Venus, I believe. Mercury and Venus. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. So it's neat when these planets do line up because, uh, you know, what, what we were doing is just kind of uh, me, you and Mike, we're, we're catching them just with our binoculars from our uh, respective uh, homes and uh, just kind of sharing uh, our observations of them and what they looked like through our, through our instruments. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of neat to see. Um, you know, these planets, like there's enough opportunity to see planets when they get close to them, like other planets or close to the moon, but it never loses its luster for me. I always enjoy those observations. Yeah, it's neat. Um, like for me, there's, there's a couple, there's a, there's a few reasons why I enjoy them now. So one is that, you know, bring, brings me back when I was learning astronomy. Um, you know, you can learn the planets by, by sort of seeing when they're going to be near the moon and uh, skymaps.com has, has really great free handy maps for, for doing that. We're not affiliated with them in any way. Um, but, but I use those for my astronomy class that I teach and them when I am teaching my astronomy class, that's what I do with folks is, is I'll let them know when, when those, uh, those pairings are going to happen because then when, as the moon moves on in subsequent nights, 
um, they'll know where the, where that planet is and kind of be able to to track it along, and that will sort of help them learn what what that planet looks like. Um, you know, when it's near the moon, and then when it's not near the moon, and then you know the next time it comes around, maybe they'll they'll more easily be able to identify it uh, either by using the moon again or or just because they're they're more familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you know, it's certainly having those anchor objects, you know, helps you to find some of these other things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We have Jupiter, um, in Aquarius and Saturn in Capricornus and, uh, they're, they're now getting well-placed af- after midnight. And mm-hmm. so, uh, they're going to, they're getting into the part where they're going to be, uh, be best telescopically observed, um, for 2021, like kind of like over the summer months here. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. I really can't wait for that. And, and the timing is kind of nice too. Again, like as the days get shorter, um, it means that we'll just have more sort of darkness time to observe these planets. Um, although, you know, some keen eye observers also observe Jupiter, uh, you know, during the the brighter moments as well. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's an option. Uh, like you can observe Jupiter, uh, during the daytime if you're able to find it. Yeah, it can be unstable though. Um, yeah. I I found anyway, but uh, on some mornings I've been getting up. I guess I've put in four or five sessions now. Maybe um, getting up and, and observing Jupiter in the morning. I, I do like to get up kind of in the middle <laughs> middle of the night and uh, and do some astronomy. I, I think I've said this before. Um, my my preference is to is to go to bed and sleep and then get up a few hours later. And uh, I don't know for whatever reason that that works for me. Everybody's different. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's how I kind of make my best observations. I, I feel like the sky is also really nice at that hour, and it and it's quiet. And there's there's no cars and there's no people around making noise or whatever. It's just really really beautiful and and still. And the sky sometimes will reward you for for those early morning outings. Yeah, yeah, it is a, a really nice time of the day. That's for sure. Yeah. We have uh, Neptune and Aquarius and uh, Uranus rising uh, really late uh, in Aries, and and these these outer gas giants they they're now really only visible um, just in binoculars, not really well placed for doing uh, telescopic observation uh, at this time. Yeah, yeah, um, that'll probably be in what six months time frame, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, into uh, like sort there? of. Yeah, mid autumn, late autumn, be able mm-hmm. to kind of take another look at them. I mean, those the Neptune and Uranus are uh, are challenging to see as as is more than a disc, and to see the color on them anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you really got to wait until you you can get get them high in the sky and get some power. But up in Aries, uh, you know, in Aquarius, the, these are these are now rising fairly high, so uh, so you can get some good uh, observations. And so July first, Canada Day, yeah, as, as we all know it around yeah. the world <laughs> or at least in Canada mm-hmm. um, first quarter moon or sorry, last quarter moon. Yeah. So that that's sort of when we start hopefully to start seeing some darkness and uh, yeah, once we get into that last quarter moon period and the moon goes away, then we should be uh, good for maybe an hour or so of darkness during this, this new moon period uh, coming up here in the, in the uh, early middle part of, uh, of July, 2021. Yeah, unfortunately, it's still not a lot of darkness, but, you know, desperate astronomers cannot be choosy. We, no. we must soak up the darkness when we can. Yes. And then the the more, perhaps more well-known July 4th, we have Uranus two degrees north of the moon and Mercury uh, is at greatest elongation west, making it visible in the, uh, in the morning sky. 
but this innermost planet, it, it's, you know, it, it's only best visible from locations south. I, I, I looked this up south of 49 degrees latitude. So we just kind of, we just kind of miss out on having a good view of it this time. And it's just because it's still so bright here um, at that time. But our, uh, our American friends just over the border, um, you know, and I don't think our border is going to be open yet at this point. Um, we'll start to get a good view of it, um, you know, in the, in the summer months here uh, in the early part of July. It should be good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so people should get up early if you're if you're living in the uh, sort of main continental United States. Um, get up early and look towards the uh, south uh, eastern part of the sky, and uh, yeah, you'll be able to able to catch Mercury. I think it gets as far as like 19 degrees away from the sun, it's like two fist lengths. So you know it'll become quite visible. Just be careful because uh, you you don't want to observe when the sun is above the horizon at your location, um, and uh, you don't want to you know risk catching a glimpse. Uh, of the sun. So don't, uh, don't be going out looking for Mercury, uh, you know, even a few minutes before sunrise, because sometimes the sun can kind of uh, creep above the horizon a little bit quicker than, uh, than what you're expecting. And any looking at the sun uh, can cause uh, permanent eye damage. So we ought to say that. Uh, on July 5th, uh, Earth is at aphelion uh, from the sun. So I think that's like its furthest point. So sort of oddly enough, we're at our farthest point from from the sun when uh when we're in the middle of summer here yeah and, and kind of an interesting point about that like from an observational standpoint you're you know it, it really doesn't amount to too much this almost gets into like the regular moon versus super moon discussions yeah but um what is interesting for solar imagers is you know taking a, a shot of the sun on july the 5th um that will be the smallest that the sun appears so an interesting project for imagers would be to take another shot of the sun in about six months when we'll be at its closest point mm. and uh, just note the difference mm. very cool very cool so july 8th mercury is going to be four degrees south of the moon so that's uh around just, just four days after uh greatest western elongations this is in the in the morning sky um and the moon is just about getting towards new moon and uh yeah i can see sort of the little chart that i made you know a really good wide field binocular my binoculars are about nine degrees and this will this will readily take them and i think you need at least about a six degree binocular it looks like to be able to see them both in the same field but you will see mercury uh, just to the right or just a little bit to the uh, southwest of the moon in the eastern sky in the morning. Yeah, that'll be a neat observation. Yeah, I'm probably going to try to take take a look at that one. I think I should be able to see that from, from my house. So looks pretty good. And then, of course, on July 10th, we have the new moon. Woohoo! Darkness, maybe a little, <laughs> a little, yeah, just a little bit of darkness. Finally. Yeah. I think we just start to get that hour of darkness uh, pretty much. I think it's like the evening of the ninth. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're looking forward to here for sure. So, um, and then we have, so, and I'm not, I was, I was reading a little bit on conjunctions, Shane, and I gotta, I gotta do a little bit more reading on, on conjunctions because since the great conjunction, it seems like everything is a conjunction when I read, when I read about it. And I'm always a little bit cautious of that. I'm not sure if you've noticed that as well. Um, yeah, a little bit like it, it, I don't know if we're just in a, a certain period where there is a lot of this happening or, you know, if there's some, something else behind it. So I've always known a conjunction to be is when, um, 
you know, the, the lineup of two celestial bodies where the stars and planets or whatever it is, moon, sun, um, they're, they're relatively close together and share the same red, red ascension or ecliptic uh, longitude. So I don't really know as much about the ecliptic longitude part as I do about the red ascension part. It's pretty straightforward to me. Sky's divided up into red ascension and, and, uh, and declination. And, you know, if they're sharing that sort of red ascension, um, you know, then, then they're in, in conjunction with, with one another. However, my understanding was things have to be pretty close in order for it to be an actual conjunction. And I've, and maybe it's one of those things that's like a, like an informal thing. Cause I couldn't really find, um, as clear a definition as, as I wanted to, at least when, when I was kind of looking this up, when I sort of raised the question with myself this past week, um, I was thinking on it and I did see it sort of referred to some places that it's kind of like, there sort of seems to be an unofficial sort of two degree or so rule. Um, but maybe it really is just when they share that same red ascension, no matter how far apart they are, because often like the, the moon and, and some of the planets will share that red ascension point. Um, in fact that they, they will at, you know, all points, some point during the month. Um, so there always will be, um, those conjunctions if it simply is the, the red ascension bit, but, uh, but I really think in order to be, uh, a true conjunction, at least in my mind, they, they've got to be pretty close in the sky, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. That would, uh, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah. I meant, meant to reach out to my friend, Dave, I expect, expect emails from, from my friend, Dave, who was the editor of the observer's handbook for a number of years saying, you should know this it's two degrees or it doesn't matter how far away. <laughs> I think it's one or the other, but, uh, but they, they will be close. Um, Jupiter and Saturn will be close to, to the moon on several nights. Um, but on July 12th and 13th on the 12th, the moon Venus and Mars will be in the same binocular field, regardless of what you're going to call it. And then on the 13th, um, Venus and Mars are going to be as close as half a degree in, in the wow. sky. So that is close. Oof. That's telescopic business. So, yep. um, you know, again, like you're going to be able to see that through a telescope and, uh, that will, uh, that will definitely be something that's, uh, that's well worth, worth your while to take a look for. So kind of even on the days, days around it, I think, uh, you know, leading up to it, to watch for that uh, moon, Venus and Mars in the same binocular field on the, on the 12th. Um, and then even a few days before and a few days after be able to, to see, um, Venus and Mars together in the same telescopic view. Now, Venus will, will be fairly large and bright. Mars is, is I think, just about as small and as dim as it can get. I don't think you'll see any, any detail, but you still see a disk. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing to look for here, if you're able to observe this through a telescope, is uh, Venus will almost appear kind of moon-like in terms of it will be phased. You, you won't see the full round disk of Venus. Mm. Um, so that's pretty cool to see, especially when you just look at it with your naked eye and see how bright it is. And then when you look at it through a telescope and realize you're not seeing the entire planet, um, you know, it gives you an idea just how reflective Venus is. Um, and then Mars, uh, may, depending on the size of your telescope, just look like a star almost like it will be very small, but the color should be quite distinct, especially beside Venus. You know, Venus is very bright and white. Mars will have an orange, uh, an orange color to it. So when they're that close, the contrast becomes a little more apparent. And, uh, those oh, are the things point. to look for there. That's oh, that, that's an amazing point. That that's one of the things that I always like about doing these things, um, with you, Shane, and, and doing astronomy with you is, is you'll always point out, um, the, the really good bit about the observation. So here, like you were saying, the, the sort of stark whiteness 
of Venus, and then that sort of very orangey, a goldfish color of of Mars together, like it's just really going to make those colors um, pop. You know, there's a lot of contrast there. That that's a perfect point. Excellent. Yeah, for sure. And and again, if you are looking at this through a telescope, there's potentially some detail that you can see within uh, the Venus clouds. Uh, I don't know if we need to get into a lot of that here, but if you go back in our podcast history, about 12 months ago, Chris and I were doing an awful lot of Venus observing, and we talked a lot about it on our podcasts about seeing some of the detail in the clouds. Yep. Um, so if that interests you, maybe just take a look at that backlog, because even though those observations are you know, quite dated, uh, the concepts and the things to look for really do remain the same. Yeah. Seeing cloud detail on Venus is... Uh is very, it's difficult at best. Yes. yes. Um, you know, uh, we, we've both seen it. I've spent an awful lot of time observing it and sketching it through a variety of instruments. Um, and, and it definitely is, uh, observable, but it is, it is extremely subtle. And then it seems almost, you know, doing, doing some research on it. It seems like, um, those of us who do see it, um, both have, have trained our eye and may have a predisposition, um, you know, like a, like a, hereditary or biological predisposition to, to seeing, um, you know, uh, things a little bit differently, um, you know, but that, that can apply to, to any person from, from, you know, sort of any background on, on the earth. You may, you may find that, that you're able to observe something and then, and then your friend uh, says that there's nothing to see there. You can't really see anything. So um, you're both right. <laughs> it's just that some of us are fortunate to be able to kind of see, uh, see those cloud tops on, on Venus for, for a variety of reasons we're not going to get into here. I think we talked about them in those podcasts. Yeah. Good points. Did you put the lunar X in here or did I? I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So on July 16th, um, for all of the lunar observers, and even if you're not a lunar observer, this is a pretty cool thing to see. Uh, So the lunar X, uh, which is quite popular, is visible. But whenever the X is visible, there's also a lunar V that's visible. And these are not really features on uh, on the moon. Like they're not craters. They're not, um, they're not, uh, a physical thing. What they are is, um, um, I forget the word now there's a, there's a term for this, but, uh, that doesn't really matter. What they are is, is the, the way the sun casts shadows, uh, on the moon, but also lights up some of the peaks of the ridges, mountains, that sort of stuff. Uh, sometimes some interesting, uh, visual, uh, events can occur, and that's when you can see uh, this X as well as the V. Um, now, the timing for these are, will vary for everybody across the globe. So if you're interested in observing this, just look for Lunar X times or something like that. Do a, an internet search. Um, usually it's advertised in UT time, universal time. So you'll have to do a bit of conversion for your location. But um, if it's clear on the 16th, I would recommend having a look at the moon to see if you can see the X and the V. They're not hard to see. You just have to time it right. So, in full in full disclosure, I don't think you know this, but uh, well, you know that I'm I'm the uh, the observer's calendar for the RASC editor in waiting, or the apprentice yes. editor, or yes. or the grunt worker this year. And uh, <laughs> so, one of one of my tasks for 2022 was to come up with all of the. Uh, uh, well, I, I get, I get the data sheet and then I have to reduce down the ones, the lunar X's that are visible from Canada. Um, but I have the raw data for these going to like uh, 2030 now. Oh, neat. Um, 
but I have to say this because I have them from the RESC for doing this job. And that is that uh, a good, a good place to get that resource for North American observers is to uh, buy a copy of the RESC observers calendar because they're all in there. And then as we go forward through these, uh, you know, in coming, coming years, uh, I, I should be able to, to insert some of these in, but just on a month to month basis, but the observers calendar is great, great for that. And uh, I will be the editor of it coming up. <laughs> right on. We'll have more information for, for the podcast. <laughs> there we go. July 17th is the first quarter moon. Mm-hmm. Yep. For those that get excited about first quarter moons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, depending on the, like the timing of it, um, I, I do enjoy looking at the moon. You know, it does mean we, we don't do the dark sky observing as much, but there's just so much detail to see on the moon. So depending on rise and set times, I'll definitely make an effort to, to have a look at it. I did observe the first quarter moon in June. Okay. I guess that rhymed. I didn't mean it to. Um, yeah. Sometimes my accent makes things sound like they rhyme when they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's like the day I went out to buy my oranges with my door hinges. Um, July 24th, we have the moon and Saturn pair up. Uh, Saturn's going to be four degrees north of the moon. And uh, it's going to be best visible the farther west uh, you are, you are in, in you know, Saskatchewan, nah, not so much. Uh, Japan, probably a little bit better. Um, and uh, probably best to see them in, in binoculars, I think. Eh? Yeah. Some telescopes will, will give you that four degree field of view, but not all. So depending on your instrument, uh, choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jupiter and the moon are going to go through this, the same thing on the 25th. And then is there a shadow transit that night as well? Yeah. Yeah. So what's really interesting, not only will the moon and Jupiter be really close on the 25th, but uh, Ganymede, uh, so the largest of the Galilean moons, uh, well, probably the largest moon around Jupiter, I believe, um, will pass kind of in front of Jupiter, but it will cast a shadow. So you're not actually going to look for Ganymede. You're going to look for its shadow, which will be an inky black dot on the surface Mm. of Jupiter. Um, Now this transit, I believe it begins at 244 universal time. So again, you have to do the conversion for your location. For us, I think we are negative six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would place it at, uh, approximately 9 PM. So, you know, it's well, I think it's well, yeah, like it's a good, good timing for us here. Um, I don't know if we would catch the whole transit. Um, but anyway, the, the Galilean moon transits, uh, or the, the shadows are, um, not super rare, Uh, but they don't happen all of the time and they are really neat to observe. So if you have clear skies, sometimes you need uh, good seeing, you'll certainly need a telescope. Um, but like I've seen it in a three inch refractor. Um, it's not like you need a lot of aperture for it. Yeah, that's right. Like even, um, the first time I ever saw the shadow transits, um, my cousin, Will, who does, who does our our music for the show, Mm he, he, uh, just had to be coming over for Christmas. He always spent Christmas with us. Um, and so, uh, he was, he was driving over from, from PEI and I was out in the yard. It was this beautiful, I think it was even Christmas Eve. It's either Christmas Eve or the day, or the 23rd or something. And I was out in the backyard and Jupiter was up and it was, it was warm. It was like seven or eight degrees. I remember it was really nice out and for, for an evening in, in late December, and I had just like a sweater or a light jacket on and no gloves, maybe a, like a light hat or something. 
and I was out there looking at at Jupiter. I was just looking at it through my really inexpensive, like eighty dollar telescope, my little first eighty millimeter f five, and uh, just the telescope I took everywhere with me in those days, just to get quick views in when I was going to university. And um, and he showed up. He's he like, "What are you doing, cousin?" All right, I'm looking at Jupiter. Oh, great! And then he comes over. He's like, "What are the black dots?" I'm like, "Black dots." <laughs> <laughs> Then I wow. look and I'm like, oh yeah, those I remember hearing about those. There's gonna be some some transits on Jupiter that night. I was like, good eyes there, you know, like he picked them up right away. I was there staring at it for like an hour before he showed up. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, pretty funny. And there's some other uh shadow transits, I think, coming up, is there? Yeah, I see that I didn't put in the date. It's uh, I'm just trying to look that up here real quick. Um, it's like I think the 28th or the 29th, Callisto and Io. Um, let me just see here. Yeah. I don't have my, I have my, my old handbook here. So, uh, the one for 2020, my 2021 is downstairs. So yeah, I don't have the ephemerids for the, for the, uh, moon transits here for this year. Yeah. I'm just, uh, if you want to babble on here, Chris, I'll see if I can locate it. Yeah, that's okay. I'll, I'll jump ahead and start talking about the, the comments or, or lack thereof. Um, there's not going to be any comets that are brighter than 10th magnitude. Although I've seen that the Puretic Comet 15P Finlay is getting some press um, that it's, it's something people can go out and take a look at. However, my software puts it at 12 and a half magnitude. So that is definitely getting really faint for all but large amateur telescopes. Um, and reliable sites make it out to be no brighter than uh, perhaps 9th magnitude by the end of the month which puts it in the range of small amateur telescopes. Um, but it's going to, I think that that one's going to be pretty, uh, pretty tough. Um, and then also sort of in comet news is that they, they found this really large comet. Um, I think it's, it's like 200 kilometers across that's in the, in the outer solar system now that's, uh, that is brightening, but um, it's going to stay really far and away from, from earth and the sun. And it's just going to kind of meander in the outer solar system uh, for some period of time. So uh, I, I don't think that that is, is going to be a, uh, an easily visible target, although things, things change and things do brighten. And because it is the largest of, of this type that's uh, been discovered so far um, that that object uh, could, could brighten up uh, quite a bit. So any luck finding those, those transit times, Shane? I am just flipping to page 230 of the RASC's Observer's Handbook. Yeah, so the, and... the RASC Observer's Handbook, this, this is a handbook that our, that our volunteer organization that we volunteer at um, puts out uh, every year. I think it costs about uh, uh, $29, both Canadian and, and U.S. You can buy Canadian and U.S. versions, and typically it's sold by Sky and Telescope and I am one of the contributing authors to the RSC Observer's Handbook, which which I do as a, as a volunteer. I th- this is not something that I'm compensated for in any way, so I'm not pushing my own book sales here or anything like that. It's something that we do for for amateur astronomers, um, and it's fairly handy, I think, the world over. But but really, it's it's targeted towards the North American audience, just so people know. Yeah, yeah. I am struggling to find this. Yeah, I'm it struggling might be to read the table actually for yeah, the, uh, 
it could be because they're not visible in North America. So what we do when we're oh, editing okay, okay. is we, we have to edit out the ones. And I know this because I'm, I'm coming up to be the editor for the calendar, like I was saying. And you have to kind of edit the ones out that aren't visible for, for certain, uh, you know, Earth longitudes. And, and because of that, sometimes uh, some of these get, get mixed a little bit, even if they're sort of quasi visible. So when I'm doing the stuff that I do, sometimes even if it's just visible for an hour or so, I'll still put it in. Cause I'm like, I know somebody who lives on the very, like, like, you know, our friend Bill, he lives on the very Western edge of North America. Like he can, he can drive to, to the, to the, I think the furthest Western point um, short of Alaska where he lives and or he doesn't live in Alaska, but just just like where he lives is is one of the furthest western points in North America. And I'm like, well, he'll see this for like two or three hours. Nobody else will, but you know, I'll I'll still stick some of those things in. But yeah, for for this, um, I'm thinking I'm thinking this this one's just just dope because I didn't see them uh, in, it, in it when I did it. So yeah, no, it looks like July 29th, Io is visible here, like the shadow of okay. Io. Uh, I think uh, if I'm reading this right, and uh, I believe Callisto might be more for our European friends. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. So people can watch watch it for this. And on the 31st, we have the the last quarter moon. That for those that want to stay up late and watch that. Perfect. Saturn is at opposition on August 7th, but uh, I think you were saying observing it late in July is is a great time to start seeing the rings and the what effect. Well, so it's, it's called the sea ligger effect, which, so the sea ligger effect is if um, it, you as an observer, if you have a light, like the light sources behind you, it can make particles in front of you seem brighter than they normally appear. So, you know, I think an example of this would be if you're in a, a room and there's a little bit of dust in the air, if it's normal lighting, you may not even notice that there's dust in the air, but if the light source is behind you, um, it, it illuminates the dust and, and reflects back at you. And then the dust becomes more apparent. So what's interesting about the Seeliger effect in Saturn. Um, so at opposition, the, the sun is directly behind earth and, you know, Saturn is directly in front, so to speak. Um, what uh, can occur is the rings. So most of the time, when you look at Saturn, the rings and the disc of Saturn are about the same level of brightness. During this period of opposition, the rings can appear, uh, you know, I wouldn't say significantly brighter, but noticeably brighter than the disc of Saturn. So it's just something to look for. And as you lead up to opposition, you know, a week or two in front and maybe a week or two on the other side of opposition, uh, just look for this effect. Look to see if the brightness of the rings appear brighter than the disc of Saturn. I don't, I don't know whether it's my accent or what, just the way that I, I read things. I, I would have read that as Sealinger. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not good at pronouncing that stuff. It could be Seeliger. I think, I, I think you might be right though. Now that I'm, now that I'm looking at it, see, I think I was putting an N where there shouldn't be an N. And I, I think I've talked about this before and I've probably had it in my classes and that, and now like hearing you say it, I'm looking at, it, I'm like, I think it looks more like Seeliger, but I, boy, I have trouble saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not sure the, the right pronunciation there. So go with whatever works. <laughs> so if somebody wants to get started observing Jupiter and, and Saturn, um, where can they start both sort of naked eye binoculars and then, uh, with telescope chain? Um, I don't know if I understand the question. 
Well, like so, if they just if they just want to get started, maybe maybe I'll I'll start. I'll say like if you want to get started, it's just trying to find them using the moon. Like we sort of put those dates out there on finding. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Just sort of finding them in general, and then I think the best way to to observe them with binoculars is to uh, find them when they're paired up with the moon. Um, because yep. that's that that gives you the moon. You'll be able to see the craters, and it's really cool. Like you'll see the craters on the moon, and then you'll see the planet next door. And then, sort of, I guess my question for you is like, then if somebody kind of does already own a telescope or is wondering what it would look like through a telescope, um, you know, what does Jupiter actually look like through a little telescope versus mm-hmm. binoculars and, and same with Saturn? Sure. So the first thing you notice probably with, um, well, even with binoculars, you'll notice the Galilean moons around Jupiter. Uh, they look like stars, but they're bright points of light. Um, and depending on where they are in terms of their orbit, you know, there's anywheres from probably one or two to all four of the Galilean moons on display. So that's always interesting. Um, now through a telescope, um, the next thing that will probably jump out at you is there's the Northern equatorial band and the Southern equatorial band, um, which are, you know, I guess I would describe them as sort of two, um, brownish, uh, stripes across the disc of Jupiter. So those are the prominent cloud bands. Uh, then there's also the northern and southern uh, polar regions, which are not nearly as dark uh, as the equatorial bands, but they they do have a similar tone to them, uh, and they're much they're much larger. Um, but don't don't be frustrated if you can't see that because good seeing is required, and sometimes a little bit of aperture to pull that out. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the night, you may also see the the great red spot, which is in I believe the southern equatorial band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in order to determine whether or not it's visible, use some planetarium software or, you know, an internet search would be able to tell you the timing of that. Um, but I've seen, I've seen the great red spot in a three inch telescope. So it's not something that again, requires a lot of aperture. It just requires the right night. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the key things that you can see in Jupiter. Um, if you have uh, a really, really good night of seeing, or if you have a larger telescope, uh, sometimes you can start to see unevenness, unevenness within those cloud bands. Sometimes uh, some festoons. Some people report seeing like kind of bluish tones, um, but you know that's getting to be uh, a little more rare. You know, in terms of you know the right conditions to to observe that. Mm-hmm. Um, switching over to Saturn, um, you will through a telescope. Obviously, the rings will jump out at you. Uh, that's you know an incredible sight. Um, within the rings, you can look for the Cassini division, which is a, a black line. It's it's the major uh, division within the rings, although there are multiple other divisions, but uh, those usually require, um, a, you know, a sizable telescope, you know, probably, I don't know, I'm going to just throw eight inches out there. I'm sure you can probably see it in smaller scopes, but mm-hmm. um, to see some of these divisions, though, uh, other than Cassini, you also need really good seeing conditions. So, you know, don't, uh, again, don't be frustrated if you can't see that. Um, you can sometimes see uh, the shadow of the rings cast upon the disc of Saturn. So that's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting thing to pull out. Um, even just the angle of the rings, they don't stay the same. So even noting that from season to season is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the disc of Saturn itself, uh, there are some subtle color differences in the bandings or the cloud bandings. Uh, it's all cream tones and it's just kind of different layers of, of kind of the, uh, the intensity of the brown within that kind of creamy tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you can look for that. 
those are the main ones on Saturn. Um, you can sometimes see a few of its moons like Titan and Rhea. Um, and there's sometimes a couple others that are visible, but uh, the moons around Saturn are not nearly as bright as the Galilean moons and uh, often can be mistaken for stars. And sometimes background stars can be mistaken for the moons of Saturn. <laughs> so, sounds good. And I just kind of want to underscore, like with Jupiter right now, um, that north equatorial band is like, to my eye, a very deep kind of uh, reddish brown or, or mm -hmm. brownish red. I don't know what you want to call it. And uh, I, I recently, I guess in the past several months, have gotten together a little 50 millimeter acromat. I bought the lens from you and then cobbled together some parts from, from online uh, auctions. And uh, man, like, like I couldn't believe it. at 50 power, I could see that north equatorial band very well on on jupiter actually didn't expect to see much in the way of cloud details so that's almost about as small a telescope as uh, as anybody's ever going to point at it so even with the very smallest um kind of like sort of reasonably priced little telescope um people should be able to to start seeing um at least one of the bands on jupiter quite easily i could see the north or the south band south equatorial bands um faintly uh, but that north band uh it, it, it's very very easy to see right now yeah, yeah, and and kind of the interesting thing with uh, Jupiter is the it, it's a very dynamic planet. So you know the the subtle detail in all of the these clouds and the bands change. But what's also interesting is the intensity of the colors. Um, so the intensity of these equatorial band, bands will increase and decrease over time, uh, but also the great red spot kind of increases and decreases in its intensity. Um, now, those don't happen like within minutes or hours. Those are like within years, usually, uh, or, or observ observing seasons. So it's also just an interesting thing to note um, mm -hmm. that, you know, whatever it looks like this year, it may be different next year. So it does change. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. Um, yeah, it can change. Jupiter's bands can change quite a bit. Um, the red spot can change a lot. Um, last year, the red spot was super easy to see. I, I had mm -hmm. stolen your five millimeter eyepiece for an extended period of time, nearly didn't give it back. No joke inside. <laughs> and, uh, and I spent a long time observing, um, the great red spot, uh, of Jupiter through, through that eyepiece, which, which I'm now attempting to, to see if I can find one of those used, but without further ado, Shane, unless you have anything to add, uh, I, th I think that gives people lots to look at in the sky for July, 2021. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, as usual, when we release this episode, we also have um, kind of everything we've talked about will be available on actualastronomy.com. Um, we release a document with all these show notes. So uh, yeah. don't worry if you weren't able to write everything down or if you're, you know, you, you want to reference something that we already talked about, just go to the yeah. website and, and you can grab the PDF from there. Yeah. And it's free. It's all free. It's not yeah. behind a paywall or anything. We're, we're just doing this for fun. Um, we kind of do this for our own observing and, and do this sort of as uh, as, as like a public service. <laughs> to say <the> least. <laughs> yeah. PSA announcements. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Right. Great. Well, thanks so much, Shane. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us or if you would like to support the podcast check out our website actualastronomy.com <laughs>